Hey guys, welcome to the Doxology Podcast. Just wanted to let you know that we were unable to record a new and fresh episode. Some last minute things came up. Lucas is still pretty busy, so we were unable to get fresh content out to you guys. But we do hope to have something fresh and exciting for you next week, and it's based on a listener's, uh, I guess, contribution. They, they recommended a, an episode, so that'll be dropping next week. Uh, but until then, enjoy this episode where we talk about apostasy and falling away. This was released a little over two years ago. Thanks, guys. Hello and welcome to the Doxology Podcast. My name is Jens Nelson and with me as always is Lucas Stock. Yes, and uh, this is a podcast dedicated to journeying together on the road that is the Christian faith. Uh, Join us as we explore, discuss, and grow as followers of Christ. On today's episode, we're going to be tackling a a pretty interesting topic, one that I think um, a lot of people wrestle with um, because we know people that maybe fall into some of these categories. Uh, Maybe we ourselves have at one point felt like this applied to us or was um, a part of our experience in the Christian walk. Um, But today we're going to be talking about this idea of apostasy. And maybe related to it, maybe um, assurance and perseverance and um, just like salvation in general. What happens when we have friends or family members who walk away from the faith? What what can we say about that? How do we understand it? Like, did someone lose their salvation? Were they ever uh, saved in the first place? Are they backsliding? I think there's a lot of ways that this has been talked about. And so we thought it'd be a good conversation to have. Um, and this actually might be one of the first times that Lucas and I have some disagreement on a topic. And I know we have some like subtle differences when we talked about baptism and the Lord's Supper in the right. sacraments episode. Um, but it wasn't, I don't think the same as this. So I think it'll be interesting. Um, and so our hope is to sort of present how we've come to the conclusions we've come to on this topic. So without any uh, further introduction, I'm going to hand it over to Lucas and he's going to uh, go from there. Sweet. Yeah, definitely um, an intriguing topic and definitely an interesting conversation in general, but especially, um, you know, compared to some of the previous conversations we've had here on this podcast. Um, So before I get into sort of my thoughts on the subject, um, apostasy, uh, it's, you know, not the most obscure theological word, but it's also not something that you probably hear in everyday language. Um, at least, I guess. If you hear falling away more often, yeah, probably. falling away. Um, basically, what we're talking about is fa- is losing your salvation, quote-unquote, uh, falling away, leaving the faith. Um, apostasy uh, is sort of the technical term for somebody who rejects, um, you know, a, a religious uh, position or, or belief system that they were previously a part of. Um, and right off the bat, also as sort of prelude is um, I want to make clear that, um, you know, I'm, I'm doing air quotes, uh, lose your salvation. But no one can see your air quotes, uh, Lucas. Yeah. I almost said Jens. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. They can't see yours either, so that's fine. But uh, <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Anyway, um, doing air quotes, lose your salvation is something that I, I'm not going to be using that phrase. Um, and I don't think it's a helpful phrase and I don't think it's a um you know it's not helpful it's not useful I don't think it's accurate um and 
the reason for that is if you say that you lose your keys, you know, like you got to get to work, but you go to get your car keys and you've lost them. Oh no, where'd my keys go? I don't, you know, where did I put that? Like, that's something that sort of can just befall you accidentally. You know, you, you, you're tired. So you don't put your keys in their normal spot when you get home from work. And then the next day you can't find them. Um, you know, you can accidentally lose something. You can misplace something and then be like, oh, shoot, I need this thing. Where is it? That's not, you know, I'm sure some people would say that that could happen with salvation. But well, that, where'd my salvation go? I can't, I, <laughs> exactly. I can't find it. <laughs> exactly. Uh, right. It, that's not what we're going to be talking about. Um, apostasy is, you know, I don't know. Like I said, it's a little bit less common of a word. So it's, it's a little, you know. We're probably going to be using things like fall away or leave the faith um, because what we're talking about, or at least what, you know, what we're wanting to be talking about is an intentional thing. You know, we're talking about people who confess Christ, who who maybe even live as Christians for most of their life or, or a period and then um, no longer believe whether that's, you know, some dramatic moment where they just have a crisis of faith and they reject everything, or maybe it's a, you know, slow, gradual process where they wake up after a long time and be like, you know, I'm not really sure about this. I don't believe this anymore. Um, it's it's not an accidental, you know, oh, geez, I lost my trust in Christ. That is silly, and that's not what we're talking about. Um, and... The reason we're talking about this is it's just something that's been on my mind as I've been listening to, um, you know, different podcasts and, and, and listen, you know, on social media and, and reading and, and looking at stuff. I've, I've just come across um, some conversations about these topics of falling away, perseverance, assurance um, that have just caused me to be thinking about the topic. Um, I'm specifically thinking of... Um, the Just and Sinner, Just, J-U-S-T, and Sinner podcast um, that Dr. Jordan Cooper puts out. He's a uh, Lutheran pastor, theologian. Um, he puts out really high-quality, um, informative, and accessible content that I definitely recommend you check out. And he has a couple of really good episodes on on the, this topic specifically that um, if you just searched, you know, Just and Sinner Apostasy or Just and Sinner Assurance, it would come up. Um and that sort of, in listening to, to those episodes especially, it sort of started this train of thought that has led to me wanting to talk about it. And specifically, I've, I've been reevaluating some passages of Scripture, and I've sort of modified a, you know, my thinking. Um, and I would say that um, at this point, I, I believe um, Scripture seems to teach to me that you can fall from grace. You can apostatize and um what that means is that you can be saved and then choose to reject christ and no longer be saved um i would say that that is maybe startling for some people maybe different for some people maybe totally the norm for others i have no idea but let me just you know stop rambling and sort of get into just a few key verses that i want to bring up um because I think that looking at these verses in their own, you know, 
context with just looking at sort of what they're saying without trying to twist them which I'm not saying anybody in particular is doing. I'm just saying if, we, if we're if we honest with these verses and let them speak for themselves, they seem to challenge the idea that, you know, once saved, always saved, um, which we'll get into and explain and debate, I'm sure. So the first one I want to look at is, um, these aren't really in any particular order, um, but Galatians 5, 4, Paul says, you have been severed from Christ you who are seeking to be justified by law, you have fallen from grace. So he's talking about, Paul is talking about people who receive circumcision, you know, like the Judaizers, as something that you need for salvation. Um, So people who, as he says earlier in his letter, are accepting a different gospel than what he preached to them. Um, He says that those people have been severed from Christ. I think some other translations say cut off from Christ. And to be severed from something, you know, think of the, um, uh, is it Romans 9, the tree with the grafting, uh, the olive tree where, where the Gentiles are branches grafted into the natural tree. Um, you know, a branch is connected to a tree, and if you cut it off, it's no longer connected. It's been severed. Um, it seems that there is, in order to be severed from Christ, you need to be connected to Christ actually connected to Christ in some way at least um and I I just feel like it's a it's an interesting little phrase severed from Christ that um sticks out to me uh when I'm reading through it so another verse I want to look at is first Timothy 1 18 through 20 um he's uh I'm just gonna skip to down here he says among oh no sorry 1 Timothy 1, 18-20 says, uh, This command I entrust to you, Timothy, my son, in accordance with the prophecies previously made concerning you, that by them you fight the good fight, keeping faith and a good conscience, which some have rejected and suffered shipwreck in regard to their faith. Among these are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have handed over to Satan, so that they will be taught not to blaspheme. So, Hymenaeus and Alexander, among others, apparently rejected good conscience and maybe it sounds like even faith um keeping faith in a good conscience or what they've rejected um the the faith of these of these two has been shipwrecked um and i guess sort of what i think of is how can something be shipwrecked if it didn't exist how you know in order for a ship to be shipwrecked it has to be an actual boat that is on the water sailing um, and I know that's just a metaphor. I'm not trying to press that further than it's than it goes. Um, I just think it's it's interesting, um, and it's also interesting that he says that he handed Paul says he handed Hymenaeus and Alexander over to Satan, which in Corinthians, First uh, Corinthians seven, I think, or somewhere around there, um, Paul talks about handing over to Satan members of the church that are in unrepentant sin. Um, and keep in mind, he calls the Corinthians saints. You know, there, there's, he's talking about believers. Um, he's talking, when he talks about handing people over to Satan, it's so that they will taught, be taught not to blaspheme, so that they will be eventually um, reconciled to the community and no longer caught in, in sin. And Paul doesn't seem to draw a distinction between um the faith that was shipwrecked and Timothy's faith 
that he that Timothy was being encouraged to keep. He doesn't say keep the faith, um, unlike these guys who shipwrecked their pseudo faith. If that makes sense, he 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 says you keep the faith, unlike these guys which wrecked their faith. And it seems to be the same faith, which is the Christian faith. Um, and then the last uh, New Testament verse that I, I pulled out is is the verses uh, Hebrews 6, 4 through 6. Um, it's a, a little bit longer, but I, I do want to spend time actually going through because I think this is one of the most interesting, at least to me, um, uh, verses on this topic. And, you know, keep in mind also, Hebrews has a lot of warning passages. Um, it, it comes up a lot in these conversations because he talks a lot about, the author talks a lot about not falling away. Um, they're all obviously relevant and important passages, but this is, is to me, sort of the, the biggest one, and at least it sticks out the most to me. So again, that's Hebrews 6, 4 through 6. Um, For in the case of those who have once been enlightened and have tasted of the heavenly gift and have been made partakers of the Holy Spirit and have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the age to come and then have fallen away, it is impossible to renew them again to repentance since they again crucify to themselves the Son of God and put him to open shame. Um, So without getting into what it means to again crucify the Son of God, because that's a whole separate thing that... uh, we don't have time. <laughs> Much smarter people can figure out. <laughs> um, oh man! Uh, what I'm interested in is this list of 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 qualities that these people um, who have fallen away are described as, and they sound like those of believers. Um, and again, there's no mention of this of any kind of false faith. Um, you know, there's no mention of like, oh, these people who we thought had faith or which is I'm not saying that means you know without a shadow of a doubt that my interpretation is correct I just think it's significant that um, in these passages that that are bringing up falling away it seems like that's where you'd bring up false faith if falling away meant you had some form of false or incomplete faith Um, but the qualities you know again being enlightened okay um Tasting the heavenly gift, I, you know, I think of communion. Mm, tastes good. Um, <laughs> whatever that heavenly gift is, it, it, you know, that sounds like something that a believer experiences, especially when it's put next to have been made partakers of the Holy Spirit. And that one really gets me. What does it mean to partake of the Holy Spirit if you're not a true believer? And I don't necessarily have an answer to what that even means specifically, but it seems to me we talk, you know, the New Testament talks about the Holy Spirit being the seal of our salvation, the sign of, of God's promise to us, the gift that, you know, is given to us in in uh, regeneration and, and baptism, repentance. Um, and can I make a comment? Yeah, please do. Yeah. So as you say that, I'm reminded of the context of some of these warning passages because he's relating the Christian experience to the wilderness experience of Israel when they came out of bondage, um, you know, slavery mm-hmm. in Egypt. Mm-hmm. And so when you, when, so when I think of like partakers of the Holy Spirit, I'm also thinking about that generation that perished, mm-hmm. that could not go into the promised land. So it's almost like, here's the physical thing. So here, you've mm-hmm. been delivered from physical bondage. Right. You experienced life in the physical wilderness and you did not enter the physical promised land. Um, and these people, 
when we think about it, they put the blood over the doorpost. Yep. Um, they experienced the plagues. They witnessed and crossed over the Red Sea. So they're like, you know, this, these waters were like <laughs> up in the air. Yeah. And like, wow, we're walking on dry ground through this. And then it came right back down after we went through. Um, you know, they ate the manna in the wilderness. They had the water that was supplied to them. Um, you know, the pillar of cloud, the pillar of fire. So like in all these instances, they are partaking, they are participating in, they are seeing very real tangible acts from mm-hmm. God, yeah. yet are still hard-hearted, yet still do not believe, yet still have um, no faith and thus do not enter. And so like when I've heard this passage before, and, and I don't, again, I don't want to take too long to say what I'm trying to say, but like I've heard it, like he's comparing a physical reality to a spiritual reality, but they're parallel right. in that like you've been delivered. Um, you know, there's, there's a deliverance, a physical or a spiritual deliverance. There's a spiritual wilderness and a spiritual like um, promised right. land. And for these people, they're the part, they're participating in these things, but they're not of those things. Right. So I, I just wanted to point that out as you, before we got too far away from that. Yeah, no, that's really helpful. And I, and it, that really just, fits perfectly in with the book of Hebrews in general being um, steeped in Old Testament Levitical law, the, oh, yeah. the priesthood of Christ being specifically explained as a superior priesthood to that of Moses and Aaron. And not just saying, oh, Christ is better, but like he's doing the same things, just uh, fulfilling them. He's he's doing the sacrifices of Moses and Aaron, but perfectly and the once for all sacrifice on the cross. So, and it, what's right. what's funny is is like I appreciate you saying that because I actually think that strengthens where I'm coming from. In that, oh, interesting. <laughs> in that, the people the people who were in the wilderness and did not enter the promised land, they were actually led out of Egypt, uh, Passover, experienced the plagues, everything that happened. They were actually the covenant people of God. At least. I think <laughs> like they, well, that's, that's one of the things, you know, like, uh, are they, you a part of the covenant? If you live in unregenerate lack of faith? Yeah. And I, I, and know, I like think, that's... I mean, if we look at the old Testament, what, what puts you in the covenant, it's, it's being born into a covenant family and circumcised. But ultimately at the end of the day, whether you live into that covenant identity is sort of TBD, you know, it's sort of, it's sort of up to you in a sense. I'm not getting into like, you know, anthropology and God's sovereignty and salvation that's important but but not exactly what I'm talking about um I'm just talking about a an, an you know a Hebrew child who is raised uh in the covenant community learns the word of God uh goes to the temple completes the sacrifices and then at the end of the day doesn't have faith they are really a member of the covenant because that's that's what the covenant people was is a, a a nation called out like we talked about in our zion episode and so then that sort of you know is there a distinction in israel of there's a distinction between like the remnant and the rest of israel and that you know the israel of god uh, is is a phrase that is used sometimes um but the, as far as the people of israel in the wilderness they all they are the people of israel they weren't because of their sin, because of their grumbling, because of their hard heartedness. They ultimately didn't get to taste the promised land that God wanted for them. But who did God promise that land to? Them, 40 years before. 
And because of their sin, they weren't able to go in. Um, so that's kind of, I, it, however you take it, that's, we need to be reading canonically. We need, as in comparing scripture to scripture and recognizing that scripture is one big unity, even as it is a diversity of books and authors and languages, um, which right. just points to how God's revelation to us works. It's, it's just amazing. Um, but what's also kind of interesting to get back to Hebrews 6 is um, he says it's impossible to renew them again to repentance. So, again, it just to me screams of this is what a believer is like because repentance is one of the key, you know, if you confess with your mouth, you believe in your heart, Jesus is God. If you repent, that's that's always tied, you know, the baptism of John, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. Um but it says they can't be brought back to repentance, again to repentance. So that means they had it before. You, you can't say that someone can't be brought again to repentance if they've never had repentance. Just grammatically, it doesn't make sense. Um, and uh, again, there's no mention of false faith. And it's just sort of an interesting an interesting passage, like I, I keep saying, it, it really just sticks out to me. I'm not quite sure fully what to make of everything, um, but it's just really interesting. And then, you know, not to overlook this, immediately after this, the author of Hebrews goes on to assure the Hebrews of, quote, better things for them because God is faithful to them. And in light of this, the author exhorts hmm. the Hebrews to continue in their perseverance. They need to be active, not earning salvation, but remaining faithful to the God who already saved them. Right. And I think this is a good point to bring in um, the idea that we, this is why, you know, I don't like to say lose your salvation because it's not about you got to keep track of your car keys. And if you don't keep track of them, you're going to have to try and find them or maybe you'll lose them and have to go buy a new one. It's you don't have to keep track of your salvation for fear of misplacing it. God saves you and me and all of us through Christ alone, through faith alone, through grace alone. And he is the one from beginning to end who works that out, causes it, sustains it, and grants us the faith and perseverance to do so, um, which means we can rest in the finished work of Christ. Again, in Hebrews, the once for all sacrifice on the the cross, (laughs) we can rest in that and have perfect assurance that God has saved me because of my faith. I am grafted into Christ. No one can, no one, you know, not to get ahead of ourselves. No one can snatch me out of his hand. I can't, I can't fall out of his hand accidentally. I can't be taken away by the devil, but that's not what we're, what Hebrews, what these passages are talking about. They're talking about people who are blaspheming, who are rejecting the repentance. They're rejecting um, the Holy Spirit. They're, they're, they're giving up their faith, um, which is why I really want to harp on the fact that um, it's not <laughs> losing something. It's not an accident. Um, and the, the other thing to keep in mind, too, is just that there's a lot of passages warning us about falling away, not just in Hebrews, but in the New Testament. Um, and it just seems odd that there would be these warnings if that wasn't something that could actually happen to to us. And 
it you know if it's just like a hypothetical thing or doesn't really apply to real believers i just it's not like i have an answer to this but i i just i can't help but wonder why are these passages framed why are these warnings framed in this way and so common to so many different groups of new testament believers if it's not a real warning you know right um, and i think i, I think don't that's know. like something that is that's a, no that's a, a valid point because that's in, in talking about these things you could almost look at them three ways is that it's hypothetical it's actual or it's apparent and you know, I know certain people land in, in, in the different camps and everything, but I, I honestly don't think it's hypothetical because it'd be silly to give a hypothetical warning if it couldn't actually happen. Like, you're trying to scare us about something that can't actually happen. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, right. Um, then it's just dishonest and, and, a- and maybe... Right, yeah, mean. it's dishonest <laughs> and... Right. But we know that this, especially in Hebrews, he has a very pastoral heart yeah. because in that like verse like eight or nine, he you know he calls them beloved, he calls mm-hmm. them dear friends, dear brothers, like over and over, right. a very pastoral, loving yeah. heart. Amen. So he's not trying to scare anybody like needlessly, and and so like when I've thought about this, and I've thought about it long and hard because I, I preached through Hebrews at the last church that I worked at as a youth pastor like from beginning to end. And I remember just like wrestling with some of these passages, like, oh man, I mean, we're talking to like kids, right. sixth or 12th graders who typically don't really have a very strong foundation. You know, they, they might've been raised in the church. They go to Christian um, school. A lot of them went to the Christian school that the church ran. Um, and so that's, it's almost like it's just sort of a, a given, like I'm a Christian, um, but then they, you know, they wrestle with the flesh. They wrestle with their sin um, with the things of this world. And so like when I've, when I, when I've thought about the passages, I'm reminded that like, these are written to churches. Like these, these letters aren't written to unbelievers out in the world. Um, so this guy was, you know, writing to his beloved, he was writing to a church that was likely scattered somewhere in Rome, like in Italy. Um, so they're not in their homeland. They're facing persecution. They're facing the threat of death. And undoubtedly, just like today in 2020, there are, are, if you go to any church, walk into a building down the road, you know, the big mega church, the small Baptist church, whatever, when you walk in, there are going to be people who are not Christians. You know, maybe they're just there for the first time. Maybe they've been there for 15 years. And so if you think about, imagine this letter being read to the congregation that it was sent to. Mm. And so as unbelievers, believers, children, adults, as they're gathered together on the Lord's day, worshiping, Imagine having this read and then they, you come across passages like this, like these warnings. Like it almost seems like that would strike at the soul of somebody who was perhaps living that sort of like, I'm a part of this. I'm partaking in the spirit. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I was baptized. I take the Lord's Supper. I, um, I at least kind of profess faith in Christ because my family does. But like, I know that I don't truly love him. Mm. Um, to me, at least like some, some of like, those are some of the ideas that I have. Like it's, it could be even the same today that when this is preached, when this is taught that like, there are going to be people there who are like, man, that is describing me. And so like when I've thought about apostasy, when I've thought about falling away, um, I don't think that it's a losing of salvation. Mm -hmm. I don't think it's a a repudiation of Christ, uh, a rejection of him so much as it is like, apostasy is almost like another category that describes people that are like within a church but not like completely belonging to the church but then again like then it doesn't make sense about like 
you know those those verses that talk about like to restore again to repentance mm-hmm. and to um, you know some of the things that you brought up and so um, because there's some of this like confusion some of this haziness if if you want to wrap up what you're gonna say I think I'll move on to some of what what I was gonna say yeah I think that you know peeking ahead in our notes I know that what Jens is gonna get into is is gonna be really helpful and important to round out the conversation um, but even what he's already said I think is just super important as far as keeping in mind like it is hazy it is complex not because we can't know the answer or you know it's too confusing we should just give up but just it's there are you know it's a tough it's a tough thing to wrestle through passages. well it's real life and we know yeah. people we, we likely know people who have like yeah could be very much within the realm right. of what these passages are talking about and so like there's an element of like man i don't want my loved one my friend like yeah. my coworker to i don't want this to be true of them right because it says it is impossible to restore them again to repentance. Like that's pretty, right. uh, you know, strong language. So it's it's and, one of those things that. And uh, on that yeah. note, interestingly, uh, in Hosea uh, fourteen four, God says that if Israel returns to Him, He will quote heal their apostasy. So mm. I don't mean to say therefore Hebrews is wrong, because the Bible doesn't contradict itself. It in terms of those levels of, you know, just teaching two completely contradictory doctrines of faith or whatever. But it just adds to the complexity to keep in mind that we're dealing with really, really hard and heavy things. And it's a little, I don't know, it's a little spooky to sit here and say <laughs> people can spooky. reject their salvation and no longer be, right. be a Christian. It's It's kind of, you know, frankly terrifying to read that someone is you know he's not saying it about me but paul's saying that someone that he says you have been cut off from christ that's not supposed to be you know warm and fuzzy the language we use yeah i don't think that's what paul i don't think paul was excited about it you know like right um and i also the reason i'm bringing all this stuff up as i wrap up my thoughts is just that um i don't want to throw a wrench into someone's belief system and just you know run around and you know try and scare people because that's not what i think is going on i'm just sort of coming to a conclusion about a collection of passages that i've previously read in a different way but as we're going to get into there's a lot of there's a lot of other passages and (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> More importantly than, you know, stacking passages together and trying to figure out, you know, what theological, you know, conclusion we come to is the fact that we are saved through Christ by no merits of our own that we cannot boast because he has loved us. He loved the world so much that he was sent and he died. Um, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. And he took on the form of a slave in order to save us, to come down and raise us up into heaven with him. And you could take that to the bank no matter what. And that doesn't... Although they probably won't do anything with it. They'll laugh at you. That's not money. <laughs> um, that's not something that changes for me. I'm not saying... Like, right. again, you can't just lose it. It doesn't just get misplaced. Um, and more importantly, it doesn't... It doesn't... Because I can reject something, that doesn't mean that its effects rest in my hands. My it, That might be a little confusing way to say it, that 
my salvation isn't dependent on me. It's purely 100% dependent on Christ and his work alone and my trusting and having faith in what has already been done for me in Christ. Right. I don't want that to get confused. That is a sure foundation. At church today, are we just saying, on Christ the solid rock I stand? All other ground is sinking sand. That is the firm foundation. That's not going anywhere. Um, right, and, and that's why I think yeah. like this is talking about different categories because like when I'm gonna read, I'm gonna read some of these passages here that mm-hmm. give us more assurance yeah. than like fear. Like I, I don't understand how those can be compa- compatible unless there's something else that we're not talking about or like there's some sort mm-hmm. of okay categorical difference and so i think maybe maybe it's just helpful if i just get into that and maybe we'll sort of explore if we think that exists so romans 8 29 through 30 is often referred to as the golden chain of salvation and he says this is paul writing to the roman church for those whom he foreknew he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. So he's talking about saints. He's talking about believers, those whom he foreknew from before the foundation of the world, being sovereign, um, omniscient, uh, omniscient um, uh, working providentially in the world. He predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. And it goes on in verse 30 to say, and those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. The reason this is called the golden chain of salvation is because like you alluded to earlier, Lucas, is this is a work of God, a work of Christ and Christ alone from beginning to end. He's the one who predestined. He's the one who calls. He's the one who justifies and he who justifies also glorifies. And so for me, this is again, if this is speaking of a believer whom he's foreknew um, since the foundation of the world, he is called, justified and glorified. So like along that chain, how can there be any room for falling away, losing salvation, um, because it would seem to imply that like my choice to walk away is stronger than God's grip on each of us that keeps us, that um, helps us to persevere. Um, And so Robert Latham, who you and I reference pretty often, and maybe people are wondering like, why do Lucas and Jens bring up this random dude? We have no idea who he is. Um, So both Lucas and I purchased his systematic theology that came out late last year. And we sort of have like been reading through it here and there. I use it as reference sometimes when preparing. And so he says, from first to last, salvation is an exercise of God's grace to elect sinners. Um, And so is lifted out of the realm of the merely possible. God's grace is given to us and maintained in us by the spirit who does not leave things half done, but brings to perfection those works he has begun. And that's sort of a quote of Philippians 1.6. So he's saying, like, from from beginning to end, first to last, salvation is an exercise of God's grace mm-hmm. to sinners. Um, it's not just merely possible, but, like, God is going to do it. It is firm. It is secure. And it says that God's grace is given to us and maintained in us by the Spirit. It's one of the works of the Spirit so that things are not half done. You're not, like, half a Christian, half a believer, but he's bringing all things to perfection. So that was what Latham had to say. So I'll just briefly um, peruse some of these other passages that give us uh, an in-depth look, I think, at this idea of um, uh, perseverance, of assurance. And I guess I probably should have prefaced by saying that, um, I guess, contrary to Lucas's view, I, you know, being more reformed theologically, I um, would ascribe to a perseverance of the saints that um, not, not one will fall away, like all that God has given to Christ, Christ will maintain that like none of the sheep will wander from the great shepherd. 
Um, and I think you'll see why. So John 6, 37 through 40, all that the father gives me will come to me and whoever comes to me, I will never cast out for I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my father, that everyone who looks on the son and believes in him should have eternal life. And I will raise him up on the last day. That seems like a pretty, like that's coming from the lips of Jesus himself. It seems pretty, uh, you know, set in stone that those who look on the son, believe in him, will have eternal life. They'll be raised up in the resurrection on the last day. We'll continue with John 10, um, all of 1 through 30, but specifically 28 through 30. It says, I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of the hand of the father. I and the father are one. And then in John 17, and man, there's a lot of passages in John. Like John is so, um, so good here. But it, it, when, when Jesus is doing the high priestly prayer, uh, specific, that's 1 through 26, but 9, 10, and 11 specifically, he says, I am praying for them. So he's talking about the church. I am not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. All mine are yours and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you, Holy Father. Keep them in your name, which you have given to me, that they may be one, even as we are one. So again, another passage about all of these are mine, they're yours, we're going to keep them. And then Paul in 1 Corinthians 1, 8 through 9 says, I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given to you in Christ Jesus, that in every way... You were enriched in him in all speech and all knowledge, even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you, so that you are not lacking in any gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ our Lord. So that little phrase of who will sustain you to the end, who will be with mm. you till the end. Um, and then again, Paul in 1 Thessalonians 5, 23 and 24. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. May your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. So again, another passage. And there there are countless passages of, of this assurance that the good work that has been started in you will be seen to completion. Um, and I think the last little passage I'll read here is a little bit of a longer one, but it's in, it's an important one. And it's Ephesians 1, 3 through 14. And on, on my document here, I highlighted the number of times that Paul uses the verbiage like in Christ, in him. And there's at least six. So we're talking about um, salvation, um, some of the blessings that come with it. So he says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purposes of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which, uh, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him, 
we have redemption through his blood and forgiveness for our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things, according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory." So, like, there's so many things that, like, I mean, a pastor yeah. could preach, like, one verse each week and be on this for, <laughs> you know, several months. Um, but over and over is this reality of being in him, being in him, in Christ, in Christ. Um, some of the blessings of being predestined as adoption as sons, um, you know, knowing his will. He has lavished grace, uh, making known wisdom and insight. Like, so many of these things. And so when we think about the life of the believer, being in Christ, being... Um, sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is a guarantee of our inheritance that we will one day acquire. Like, I just, again, I just, when I read these things, I have a hard time, like, because I know that I, I, I am a firm believer that scripture does not contradict itself. There are not things within scripture that, like, um, are untrue because it's the full revelation of God as he has revealed himself in his word. And so when we see this, these these words of assurance of Jesus saying, like, no one can snatch you from my hands, um, Again, maybe maybe we need to talk in different categories because, like, as you were alluding to, uh, you mentioned how, you know, it's not like losing your keys where you're like, oh, where, where'd my salvation go? I can't find it. Um, and if, if nobody can snatch us out of Jesus's hand, um, then the only other real explanation would be some sort of, like, my own will, my own sinful self wanting to turn from Christ um, but even then, like if no one can snatch me out of his hand, how can I myself snatch myself from his hand in a way? You know what I mean? It's, it's almost like I'm severing myself, um, which sounds like, again, nearly impossible. I, I, I don't know. And, and it, so, again, some of this is a little, um, hazy and, and fuzzy because there's a lot of things that we do not understand, you know, as being, um, humans with a, a finite understanding um, that's not to say that we can't understand these things, but we can't understand them fully. Um, and so I know, Lucas, you mentioned Hebrews 6 and, you know, it's parallel of Hebrews 10. And there's like two other smaller warnings. Um, and they can be terrifying. They can be troubling. Um, and maybe I think maybe a helpful way to think about it is like when we think about those who persevere to the end will be saved. I mean, that's something that Jesus himself says um, in Matthew 24, like those who endure to the end, um, there is a reality. So something I should have mentioned in the beginning is like the idea that God is supremely sovereign, that he knows all things, that all things are in his hand. I mean, even in Romans, it says that God works all things together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. So God causes all things, causes and uses all things, good, bad, in between, whatever, to work together for good for his people. Um, so, and that's 
a really reassuring passage too. I know sometimes it's sort of like thrown at people as a band-aid to like bad situations. Um, but if we truly grasp like the fullness of what is being said, that like even our suffering, even our persecution, even facing death is somehow worked together for good, uh, both to his glory and for our like eternal good. Um, you know, so how, when we think of something like that too, like how can we think about losing our salvation? How can we think about walking away from him? Um, so with, if we think about God being supremely sovereign over everything, over salvation, over um, the weather, over um, th- things that transpire every single day, over the coronavirus, you know, um, God being mm. completely sovereign. To me, like, I just, I have, again, that's why I have a hard time thinking that people can just walk away um, from a faith that was professed. And so I I know, um, I think one of the conclusions that I sort of drew was that in these passages, these Hebrew warning passages specifically, uh, there's a, a distinction between the church as we view it from our finite perspective and those whom God knows to be joined to Christ by living and lasting faith. So I think that there, I think that's part of the distinction, is that Hebrews implies a distinction between the temporal and external. So that's there's temporal things and external things, and eternal and internal. So like temporal versus eternal. So it's something that's temporary versus lasting forever, and then external versus internal. Um, and I think that's the distinction when we're, when we're talking about these people who are in these churches. I, to me, um, some of the passages that you read and the conclusions that I've come to is that it's not speaking of hypothetical, it's not speaking of actual, but it's mm. speaking of apparent believers, people who were sitting in church, who take communion every week, who maybe were baptized, they've um, gone to church their whole lives. I'm sure we know people like this in our own churches, um, yet who are not truly Christians. I mean, I think that's just a reality and it would have been a reality um, to this Hebrew church too. I mean, if you think about this being read as a sermon, um, you know, I think Apollos wrote it, but it doesn't really matter who wrote it. Whoever this author, this pastor writing this letter, I mean, this would have been read to a congregation and maybe these specific warning passages would have struck a nerve with those people who were apparent believers, who appeared to be, you know, they were partaking in all those things, like you mentioned, yet not truly a part of those things. Um, and I, so I said merely belonging to a community favored with God's gifts. And so like I mentioned, like being delivered from Egypt, hearing God's voice, you know, the Red Sea, that does not secure eternal salvation. You know, so just because in the old covenant, the people like were a part of the covenant, like they were born into the covenant, it did not mean that the people lived out the covenant and were faithful. And that was sort of like the whole issue, like all throughout the Old Testament, like all these people are unfaithful, all these people are unfaithful. And then like Christ comes and fulfills all that the the Old Testament looked to and longed for. Um, But in the church today, merely just like I'm going to church, I'm participating in church, does not secure eternal salvation. Because again, we say that salvation comes um, through faith or uh, by grace through faith in Christ alone. Um, And at this point, I'm sort of more rambling, but I'll I'll sort of close up what I have to say with, you know, 1 John 2.19 saying, he's speaking about people who um, were a part of this congregation, apparently. You know, it says verse 19, they went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might be plain that they were all uh, not of us. 
And so, again, maybe that's another passage where it's an example of like in a church, in a congregation, there are people there, whether it's false teachers, false prophets, or just like not true sheep. There are people who are there who for a while might have even an appearance of, of salvation. Um, but in the end, they, they go out, they leave. And it seems from John anyway, to in, indicate that like, this is to show that they were not truly a part of us. And maybe that's, uh, you know, Lucas, I know before we recorded, we talked about the, um, the parable of the sower who is putting seeds along these different types of soil and some of the, um, results of that. But what I, what I boil this down to is that at its core, the ideas of perseverance or apostasy, losing salvation, all these things have to preeminently be about Christ and not about us. Because we do not keep yeah. ourselves, we do not save ourselves. And so I sort of asked hypothetical questions. Will the father actually give to his son his church? Is, uh, is this not the purpose of all that the father does, to, to give Christ his bride? And another question, will the spirit fail to bring to the son those whom the father has given him? And so like basically, will the purposes of God fail? Will what God has purposed fail? Um, and so that's why I think I, I think we're both on the same page in saying that like we cannot be snatched out of Christ's hand, right? Like there's nothing that like anyone can do to like take us away because like God's purpose is like in creating the world. And then this is like a whole, like this is, I'm going like sweeping over the entire scripture here. God created the world. And this is something that Dr. Johnson used to talk a lot about at Moody, one of the professors that I had. He used to say that the world was created, well, by Christ, but for Christ to unite all things to Christ. So like Jesus wasn't like plan B. It's not as though Adam and Eve were like, this is what I'm creating the world for. And like, well, oh, everything went wrong. And like, I don't know why. I guess I got to come up with a backup plan. So I'll send my son and then I'll fix everything. Like all along, the plan was like in God's sovereignty, in his providence, in his foreknowledge, the plan all along had been for his son to come and die so that he could claim a people of his own. And so will those purposes fail? If there is any chance that one may fall from grace and eternally perish, how can there be certainty that any of us will be glorified? What confidence would we have since we can never eradicate sin completely the Christian life would be a miserable one if there was the risk of imminent and irreversible apostasy. So what I mean by that is like if 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 there is a danger, like an imminent, like right around the corner danger that apostasy might jump out and get me, which I know is like, I mean, that's not how it actually works. And like you said, like we don't just like lose like salvation, like we lose car keys. Um, but if there is that risk, like if, you know, I mean, and it, so I'm not trying to downplay the seriousness of sin. I'm not trying to downplay like um, the need for the the, the sacraments, um, for grace to, to continue in our life. But like, because we still sin, we are people who still live in our flesh in this world, we will continue to sin. And sometimes that sin can like be pretty deceiving, not just as like, oh, this is going to be more pleasurable. You should go to this. But also like sometimes when we're especially in a season of like what is sometimes referred to as backsliding, like where we've sort of like, in a way, have removed ourselves, have submitted ourselves to sin more than to to Christ. Like in those seasons, a passage like this is one that I think can be very terrifying. Mm-hmm. Um, if not to like be like, okay, now go back, go back to your anchor, go back to the anchor of your soul, like Hebrews says over and over. Um, but like the Christian life would be a miserable one if we didn't have the assurance that I think scripture lays out. And so um, at the end of the day, we sort of have to think 
we basically have to come to the reality that merely belonging to a church does not make one a Christian, just as like merely belonging to the old covenant, like just saying that like, I'm a, I'm an Israelite, I'm a Jew didn't make you one, but like, it's sort of like that idea of like, it's all inward. It's not outward. So like what has happened within you? So even though, um, even though you have tasted and seen, so to speak, if you do not possess true faith in the Son of God and his work of redemption, you are not part of the church. You are not part of his bride. You are not in Christ, to reference that language from that mm-hmm. Ephesians passage. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, there's there's a lot more that could be said. There's a lot that we probably haven't said. Um, and so I guess, I don't know, I wanted to read a big chunk of Romans 9. Um, I, I won't <laughs> because it's so long. But I, I want to challenge anybody who's made it this far into the episode to read through all of Romans 9. And it's one of those passages that, like, f- historically has been very hard to understand, especially if you don't come from a Reformed perspective. Um, and this is the—I'll pa- just, like, mention parts of it. But it's the passage, basically, that says— um, so he said, so verse six, but it is not as though the word of God has failed for not all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel. So like we, as we were just saying, like just because you descend, you do not belong to what Israel is and all are not children of Abraham because they are his offspring. But through Isaac, your offspring shall be named. This means that it is not the children of the flesh who are the children of the God, but the children uh, of the promise are counted as offspring. And it kind of goes on from there. Um, you know, it says, Jacob, I have loved, Esau, I have hated. And verse 14, what shall we say? Is there injustice on God's part? By no means. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I'll have mercy and I'll have compassion on whom I will have compassion. So then it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. And it, you know, it says how, it says of Pharaoh, for this very purpose, I have raised you up that I might show my power in you that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. So he has mercy on whom he wills and hardens whomever he wills. And so it's like that idea, like he goes on to say, like, does not the potter have the right over the clay to make, you know, some vessels for honorable use and some for dishonorable. And again, this is like, we could have a whole episode on Romans 9. Um, But like when it comes down to like speaking of God's sovereignty, his providence, speaking of um, salvation, of assurance, of persevering in the faith, in my mind, we cannot fall away. We cannot apostatize um, as true believers. So I think apostasy passages that we're talking about must refer to some other category of people. And that's, I guess, what I'll leave my section at. So I don't know if you had any thoughts or... Yeah, I mean, you know, I think, uh, thank you for sharing and, and for, you know, those listening to sort of wade with us through some you know, at times pretty murky waters, you know, I don't want to just leave things hanging with all these unanswered questions because that doesn't necessarily feel satisfying or feel great. But at the same time, we kind of are going to just because we're not, we're not here to, you know, determine final answers to these big questions um, that we're just not able to do by ourselves. Um, But I would say that, um, you know, with full understanding and, and respect of what you've laid out and, and, you know, following it, it's a very, you know, consistent way of interpreting these passages. I, the, the only, you know, without getting super in depth on things that I need to reflect more on, you know, um, the, the idea of that distinction in categories, um, between, 
those who, you know, the true Israel of God, you know, the true, if we can, you know, quote unquote, the, you know, the true believers, those who are truly united to Christ, those who have real faith and have and are in Christ versus those who are merely part of the community, those who are um, ultimately not believers but are just church members or attenders or, or you know, members of Israel that don't have real faith in Yahweh in the Old Testament or whatever. Um, and therefore apostasy being a real thing that happens to people who are apparent believers versus a real thing that happens to those who are real believers or true believers. I mean, um, the, the only real, you know, challenge that I would want to put forward to that. And I think that this is, you know, we'll leave it here and listeners can continue to, to chew on these things and to meditate and, and, and to pray through the passages that we've referenced and plenty of others that we've left out is just, I'm not convinced that's a category that is scriptural, not saying it's, you know, anti-scriptural, but I'm not convinced that the passages we've looked at indicate that distinction, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, and I know, and I, and that's I, where I, know I it's would hard land. to, yeah. right. And I, I was thinking even though about like Judas with the 12, right? Like, what would we do with Judas? Like, yeah. so do we think that we'll see Judas in glory? Will he not be in glory? Like Jesus called every single one of those, but the whole time knew that Judas would be the one who would betray him. And that's like another one of those really hard like realities <laughs> to come to understand. Yeah. So I, I, yeah, I think it's what you said is helpful that in the beginning of this episode, you know, you said that we, well, first of all, we don't know everything. We are not God. Um, <laughs> And in, to not, like, bind your consciences and to not, like, now leave you wailing and trying to figure out, like, am I a Christian? Am I not? Like, I think at least you and I can both say that, like, those who persevere, those who endure, those who um, continue in faith, those who hold fast to Christ, who cling to their anchor for, of their soul, um, that Christ will never abandon them, that Christ will never forsake oh, yeah. them. Like Jesus, is, Jesus promises Jesus. to be with us to the very end of the age. Yeah, and I, I, hope, I hope and pray that nothing we've said, especially that I've said, has in any way, you know, given anybody, you know, reason to doubt their salvation. Because that, like I was saying, that's not my intention. I don't believe that's what I'm saying needs to do. Um if, if you are unsure about whether or not you're saved, then I, I would just say trust Christ and talk to a pastor, talk to a believer, message us, you know, even if, if you feel so led and comfortable. We'd love to talk more, but but please, you know, trust in Christ and and he is faithful and just and he will forgive right. you he, of, of your sins. He will cleanse you. He will make you whole. He will save you. And that, like I said, that's... That's a firm foundation. That is not right. sinking sand. That is that's going nowhere. Um, right, and that is what we want to encourage everybody to do. You know, if you've never trusted in Him, there's no time like Today's the present. And if, if you trusted in Him, you know, 60 years ago, and you've been walking with Him this whole time, either praise way, God. praise God. It, you know, eternally praise God. And and right. and you know, that's how that's how. I think there's really no better way for me to wrap up my, what I want to say than just trust Jesus and right and that's that's what it's all about. Well, I'll I'll uh, I'll close this out, and I know um, we forgot to do this in one of our previous episodes, um, but we won't forget today. We're gonna read a quick prayer from the Valley of Vision, and it's you know pretty aptly titled Assurance. 
So let's hope that this, if you feel like a wavering, that this will grant to you again assurance. It says, Almighty God, I am loved with everlasting love, clothed in eternal righteousness, my peace flowing like a river, my comforts many and large, my joy and triumph unutterable, my soul lively with a knowledge of salvation, my sense of justification unclouded. I have scarce anything to pray for. Jesus smiles upon my soul as a ray of heaven, and my supplications are swallowed up in praise. How sweet is the glorious doctrine of election, when based upon thy word and wrought inwardly within the soul. I bless thee that thou wilt keep the sinner thou hast loved, and hast engaged that he will not forsake thee, else I would never get to heaven. Mm. I wrong the work of grace in my heart if I deny my new nature and my eternal life. If Jesus were not my righteousness and redemption, I would sink into the nethermost hell by my misdoings, shortcomings, unbelief, unlove. If Jesus were not by the power of his spirit, my sanctification, there is no sin I should not commit. Oh, when shall I have his mind? When shall I be comforted to his, Im- or, sorry, when shall I be conformed to his image? All the good things of life, uh, of life are less than nothing when compared with his love and with one glimpse of thy electing favor. All the treasures of a million worlds could not make me richer, happier, more contented, for his unsearchable riches are mine. One moment of communion with him, one view of his grace is ineffable, inestimable. Uh, oh, uh, but oh God, could I, or, oh God, I could not long after thy presence if I did not know the sweetness of it, and such I could not know except by thy spirit in my heart, nor love thee at all, unless thou did elect me, call me, adopt me, save thee. I bless thee for the covenant of grace. Amen. Mm. <laughs> Sorry for the stumbling through. <laughs> Can't read apparently. <laughs> um, thank you for for that prayer and and thank you for listening um if especially on a you know a little bit of a heavy episode of the doxology podcast today i'm sweaty (laughs) (laughs) if you'd like to connect with us you can hit us up on twitter at doxology podcast send us an email at doxology podcast at gmail.com or uh at doxology podcast on instagram as well um for feedback questions episode ideas just want to connect um we'd love to hear from you um, I do want to throw out a quick plug um, because I don't know that we've done it before. Um, so if, uh, Lucas's friend Richie Rust is uh, the one who has done our intro music. So if you appreciate that intro music, give him some love um, on social media as well. And also my wife is the one who designed our logo. Um, so that's cool that we have people that we know who are gifted and talented to do those things. So that's cool to uh, yeah, definitely. give it a share. Yeah. Praise God for, for his body and varieties of giftings. Um, Yeah, once again, thanks for listening, uh, and God bless.